Well, if you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to Romans chapter 1. At the beginning of last week, I thought I'd be preaching in uh, 1 Samuel, and we would continue on in our 1 Samuel series, as we only have a few chapters left. But in God's providence, He had different plans this week. Um, Scott and uh, Dave and myself and uh, Laura and Nancy went to the Dakota Baptist uh, Convention this week. And uh, one of the things we were excited about was uh, we were going to get to hear uh, someone we uh, respect a lot and look up to. Uh, he's uh, uh, president of Southeastern Seminary. His name's Danny Aiken. And we were talking this week uh, that we were excited. We were getting such good speakers to come to the Dakota Baptist Convention. Well, Tuesday night, I got a call from Buck Hill. Uh, I got a text that said, call me right away. And he said uh, that Danny Aiken wasn't going to be able to be there. And he said, can you preach on Romans 1.16 to begin the conference? <laughs> and I was thinking, oh, this is going to be fun. How many other people are looking forward to hear Danny Aiken? And then I'm going to be... <laughs> They're preaching in this spot, but by the grace of God, Buck told me the text he wanted me to preach on because I knew this text. It's a common one. And I knew what this text taught that the power of the gospel or the power of God lies within the gospel of God, not in the special skill or ingenuity of man. And, uh, so I spent, uh, my day Wednesday preparing this message, so I'm going to preach it uh, to you uh, this week. So, uh, Romans 1.16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The first thing I want us to see is that this letter is all about the gospel. Paul's going to unpack what this verse means throughout the whole uh, book of Romans, this letter that he wrote to the church of Rome. And so at the very beginning, let's just look at what the gospel is. A good summary of it. Uh, you don't need to turn there. 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 3. Here's what Paul said. He said, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. So Jesus is the promised one that the prophets talked about, the Christ who would come, and He died for our sins and that He was buried and He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures and that He appeared to Cephas and to the Twelve. Then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. This Gospel is the reality, the truth 
that a man showed up on this earth who was the Son of God. He was the promised one. And he died for our sins to pay the price. And as he died under the the wrath of God, death could not hold him. It had no right over him. And we know that Jesus Christ conquered death. He was resurrected. He showed himself to over 500 people, many of whom were still alive when Paul was writing these letters. This is the gospel. And how the, he says, the reason why he's not ashamed is because of power. Power. You know, power is a desirable thing, is it not? I was just thinking about this. Margie Meyer had hip surgery, two hip surgeries in the last month, and she's looking forward to the day when her hip has power in it and strength so that she can get around like she used to be able to. Power is desirable also in Niger, Africa, when it's 120 degrees and the power only turns on for three or four times throughout the day, three or four hours. When that power turns on and the air conditioning begins to roll, they are thankful for that electricity, that power that comes to them. You know, when you go to Menards and you're looking for a sump pump, you want the one that has the most power for the money, right? If you're buying a truck, it's nice to have more power than less power. Your favorite football team, you want them to have a powerful offense. The political party you most align with, you want them to have the most power in Washington so that they can do good for the people. But I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, but power corrupts. Power isn't all good. We see people get power, and power corrupts, which we see as as being true in so many different ways. But here's the reality. There's one type of power that doesn't corrupt. It actually restores It actually gives life and is God's power. God's power does good. Remember what uh, God spoke through Moses to Pharaoh in chapter 9 of Exodus? Here's what he said. For this time, I will send my plagues on you yourself. So God's speaking through Moses to Pharaoh and on your servants and your people so that you may know there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put my hand and struck your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. He says, I could have already destroyed you, Pharaoh, 
But for this purpose, I've raised you up to show my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. He says, the reason why you still exist is because I want to, I want to put on display something. Pharaoh's kingdom is the most powerful kingdom in the world. If you could go back in time and get a tour of Pharaoh's kingdom, you would be in awe of his power. And God said to Pharaoh, I've raised you up so that I can put you up as an example. Here's power on earth and here's my power. I want the world to know my power. So the psalmist says things like this all the time. Psalm 21.13, Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength and will sing praise to your power. Psalm 62.11, Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God, that you, O Lord, be steadfast in love. Isn't it a good thing that the one who has all power is the one who is love? And then we have Psalm 147.5, Great is our Lord and abundant in power. What's God like? Well, power emanating out of Him everywhere. Mark chapter 12, verse 24 when the Pharisees were, or the scribes were trying to tie Jesus into a knot in regard to the resurrection, they give an example of a man who has uh, five different wives, and they ask, well, whose wife? You, you see, the Sadducees, they don't believe in a resurrection. They think we're going to make him look like a fool here. He, has, he can't have an answer for whose wife she'll be. Jesus said to them, is not the reason you are wrong because you neither know the Scriptures nor know the power of God? You see, the world, those who are not saved, don't know the power of God. In fact, the power of God is silly to them. And we as Christians often can think like the world rather than what we see in our Scripture. So as we look at this text, here's how I want to bring this message to you. The message is called Mission Possible. Mission Possible. And there's going to be four headings we're going to work under. The first one is the commander of the mission. The second one is the mission. The third one is the temptation to abort the mission. And the fourth heading is the power to accomplish the mission, all right? So let's look at the commander of the mission here in Romans 1. You see, our gospel, the word gospel means good news, is not just good news that's floating around but a person who is oriented all things around himself through his life, death, and resurrection, his kingship and judgment. The gospel flows out of a person. There's a commander of the mission. 
There's a commander at the head of this gospel. Look at Romans 1, starting in verse 1. Paul, a servant, it would be more accurate to say, slave, the lowest slave of Jesus Christ. There's your commander. We're going to see in a moment that Paul's mission is to preach the gospel. And there's a commander at the head of this gospel. And it's Jesus Christ himself called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. This is good to remember because all of us as Christians are called to preach the gospel, to share the gospel, to make disciples. And we can tend to think that this is just something we can do. We have the privilege to do and we forget there's actually a commander. It's His gospel. There's actually one who has sent us to speak. Look at what he says in, in verse 6. Including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Not only are we apostles called to preach, but also all of us who trust Christ belong to Christ. We all have a commander. Secondly, Let's look at the mission. Again, verse 1. Paul, a servant of, G of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, a sent one. The mission, we are servants of Christ. We're slaves to a king, a master. And, and look at what he says his job is in verse 5. Through whom we've received grace and apostleship to do this, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations. Paul's job is to preach the gospel to bring about the obedience of faith to the glory of God. You see, the gospel of God isn't a gospel that says just get saved and forget about obedience. No, what it means to confess Jesus as Lord is that your life is marked by dying to yourself because you realize Christ owns you. He's a master that's a good master. And then look at Verse 13. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I've often intended to come to you. This, this is what it looks like when a servant who's been commissioned by God is wanting to fulfill his mission. But thus far, he says, I've been prevented in order that I may resist to reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. He says, I hope, I want to get to you because I want to reap a harvest. He says, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. He's under obligation to everyone because Jesus Christ told Paul 
to follow him, I'm going to show you how much you must suffer for my name's sake. And then he gave him the commission to go to both the Jews and especially to the Gentiles. So Paul sees himself in debt to these people to preach to them because his master has given him a mission. And look at, he says it clear as a bell. Here's his mission, verse 15. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Now here's the amazing thing. Look at verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. He's writing this letter to people whom Paul's saying, your faith is so amazing already that I'm giving glory to God for your faith. And what he said is, I can't wait to come preach the gospel to you. You see, we tend to think that the gospel is only for the lost. But Paul's saying, I can't wait to reap a harvest among you, church. How? By preaching the gospel. You see, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to, for conversion, to birth forth a bring alive a spiritually dead person to give the new birth, but also to conform you into the image of Christ. Husbands, the way you become a better husband, the way you get the power to love your wife when she's not lovable is in the gospel. You need a preacher to come preach the gospel to you. We're going to see in a moment that there's power there. And so Paul, everywhere he goes, to every people, Jew and Greek, I want to preach the gospel. I want to reap a harvest. I'm under obligation. I have a commander. If you read Paul's letters, he just wants to fulfill, he wants to run the race. He wants to present a church mature in Christ. And the thing he says, the way I'm going to do it, is preach this gospel that we can tend to think is just like the first things. When, you know, once you get saved, who cares about the gospel? We can tend to think. So the mission is to unashamedly preach the gospel. He says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation. Now, why would he say that? Why would he say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel? You might say, well, that would be silly. You know, if someone was drowning and they saved you and someone asked you, you know, how were you saved? You're not going to be ashamed to say, well, that hero over there saved me. So is Paul just dumb here? Is it, does he make no sense when he even makes a statement, I'm not ashamed of the gospel? We're going to see in a moment that he talks about not being ashamed of the gospel a lot. Even Jesus himself warned about being ashamed of him. So why would someone be ashamed? Because there's a 
Here's my answer. I think we got to admit this. There's a real temptation to abort the mission of preaching the gospel. There's a real temptation to abort the mission and be ashamed of Christ. Think of Paul's life. What would require Paul to say such a thing? Thus far, because of the gospel, he's been imprisoned at Philippi. Philippi. He's been chased out of Thessalonica. He's been smuggled out of Damascus and Berea. He's been mocked in Athens. He's been labeled a fool in Corinth, labeled a blasphemer, blasphemer and lawbreaker by the Jews in Jerusalem. He's been stoned at Lystra. The natural flesh reaction is to be ashamed of this thing that is getting you absolutely beat up and mocked by everybody. The thing that makes total sense is to be ashamed of this gospel. But he says, I'm not. In a sense, he's saying, I'm proud of this gospel. I'm the opposite of being ashamed. How could that be? How could it be that he isn't ashamed? You see, I can relate to being ashamed. Paul here is challenging to me. I've told many of you, many of you might have heard this story before, but when uh, <clears throat> I grew up in grade school, one of my best friends that uh, we went to the same school, hung out all the time, uh, his name was Travis. Uh, once we hit junior high, he began to start getting into drugs and alcohol and started running with a crowd that uh, I wasn't running with at the time and or ever, I guess. And then in high school, it got to the point where I'd see him walking down the hall in school and it's just like he's not even there. Like he's so... Drugged up, he's not even there. And uh, I graduated high school, went off to college, and I had heard someone say, man, Tra Travis has really changed. He has really changed. He actually went to some church event, and I was thinking, no way. Travis has changed. So when I came home my freshman year from Christmas break, I went to... Uh, I got a hold of him, asked if I could come out and talk to him. I wanted to see the new Travis. I wanted to hear the story, what happened. And when I got out there, one of his friends that uh, we both played hockey with, and I played football with, he's a year in front of me. He was like a t one of the toughest guys I knew. He was like a cool party guy. I was totally intimidated by someone like him was in his driveway hitting like a rubber hockey puck up against the garage. And Travis saw me pull in. He stuck his head out and he said, I'll be out in a minute. I'm just finishing lunch. So here I am. I'm standing outside in the parking lot and Joel's there and I'm trying to make small talk with him. And I asked him, how's he doing? And just in every answer and just in his eyes. I don't know if I've ever felt it as much as I felt it here. I just saw a broken human being. 
an absolute broken, empty human being. And I knew that he needed gospel power in his life. I knew that he needed to hear. But how in the world am I going to start that conversation? I mean, I'm so intimidated by him. So as we're talking, I'm thinking of how to say, start the conversation. 15, 20 minutes goes by, Travis comes out. Conversation never gets started. I remember driving away feeling like, man, that was a bummer. And then like two weeks later, I'm back at school. I'm talking to my mom, and she said, oh, Sam, I want to tell you some bad news. She said, uh, Joel, she knew I knew who he was, committed suicide this week. My mom had no clue about this opportunity I had. Um, I remember laying in my dorm bed that night. I remember laying there, asking myself the question, realizing he's probably facing an eternity of wrath in hell. I remember thinking, so why didn't you share? And here's the reasons. What's he going to think of me? You know, he's going to think I'm crazy. And it seems so stupid. You know, I'd do anything in that moment to go back. Who cares if he thinks I'm crazy? And whenever I would share this story afterwards, people come up to me and say, oh, God's sovereign. You know, if he was elect, God was going to save him anyway. They try to comfort me with the sovereignty of God. But here's the problem with that. You see, God deserved glory out of my life whether He gets saved or not. He deserves me not to be ashamed of Him and to be thinking clearly about what Joel needs. And so I can relate with being ashamed. I wish I could just say, I'm never ashamed How did Paul, how could Paul say this? That he wasn't ashamed of the gospel. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Here's his reasoning. For it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. He says the reason why I'm not ashamed is it's power. Everybody wants power. Power is good. You know, if when I was speaking at this conference, a bunch of North Dakota State fans, I asked them, you know, who's a North Dakota State fan? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. If I would have said who's an Iowa Hawkeye fan, they would have been like, yeah. when your team's doing good, you're not ashamed. Yeah, I'm a Bison fan, right? Paul's saying I'm not ashamed because the gospel is power. Let me illustrate this for you. In Mark chapter 14, Jesus is standing before the council. And in verse 58, here's what they say. We heard him to say, Jesus, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands and in three days build another not made with hands. 
Yet even about their testimony, they did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? They're saying, he says he has crazy power. He's going to rebuild this thing in three days, not even using his hands. Yeah, right. That's what what they're saying. Have you no answer? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, here's what he says now, I am, and you'll see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witness do we need? We've heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and cover his face and strike him, saying, prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. So here you have power hitting. The power of the authority spitting, punching, and mocking. Because in their mind, they're like, we got the power to do this to this guy who's claiming power on high. But then you have God's power remaining silent as this is happening. We have a clash of powers. And then in John 19, we see it with Pilate. Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority or power to release you and authority to crucify you? Are you not going to speak? Don't you know my power? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me unless it had been given to you from above. See, this is a battle of powers taking place. And Paul understood the power of God. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1. I want to show you this. I want you to see how not being ashamed in power knowing God's power are linked together. Because the temptation to be ashamed, we all feel. And Paul's going to teach us the way we defeat that temptation and actually fulfill our mission to preach the gospel, not be ashamed. 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 7. Paul said, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed. You see that? Because of this power we've been given, this love, this self-control, therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. That's the Gospel. Nor of me, His prisoner, but share in suffering for the Gospel. How? By the power of God. And then look at verse 12, just a few verses later. He describes the gospel. He says, which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed, 
For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. It's amazing. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I know that God is able and powerful to help me finish the race, to be faithful with what he entrusted me with, the gospel. So the way you're going to be faithful is by the power of the gospel. Here's how it would have worked with Joel and I. You see, if I would have been preaching the gospel to myself, the temptation would have been, he's going to think you're crazy. And the Holy Spirit would show me the God of the universe says you're his child. Joel might think you're crazy, but the most powerful person in the universe, your creator, gifted you your identity. He'll have the last say. Yeah, but I'm afraid with my spirit I've given you to help you, to give you the words to say in this moment. Sam, were you forgiven? Does Joel also, ought he not also hear of the same hope that you heard no matter the cost Jesus had to die so that you can be saved are you not willing to suffer now so that Joel may hear the same news you see preaching the gospel to ourselves is the power of God for us to fulfill our ministry in sharing the gospel and then turn with me to 1 Corinthians 1 Not only is the gospel the power to fulfill our ministry, but it is, as he says in our text, it's the power of God for salvation. And I want you to see how Paul feels the temptation and how he deals with it. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 18. For the word of the cross, that's the gospel, is folly to those who are perishing. You see that? If it's folly to those who are perishing, one might be ashamed for it. You know, we sound silly as we preach it. But to us who are being saved, it is, what does it say? The power of God. Here's what he's arguing in this text. He's saying, consider the source. He says, yes, most of the world thinks this is foolish and crazy and folly, but he's basically saying, consider the source. The ones who think you're foolish are dying. They're the ones that are perishing. But the ones who hear your message and think it's wisdom and power are the ones who are alive and even becoming more alive in Christ. So he's saying, consider the source. And then he says in verse 18, just a few verses later, I mean in verse 22, he says, for the Jews demand signs. They want to see 
signs of, of power. The Greeks seek wisdom, uh, philosophy, fancy speech, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greek, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. You see that? He says, yes, it seems crazy and is a stumbling block and seems stupid to the world, but to those who are called, to those who are being saved, it's the wisdom and the power of God. Why be ashamed of the gospel when it is the very thing that saves a person and it's the very thing that is wisdom and power to those who are being saved? I mean, don't miss that in verse 18, the verse we were just on before this. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Paul views our salvation as a moment when we're justified, born again, but then this process of being saved as we become more like Christ in sanctification throughout our life, and will be finished when Christ returns and we're glorified. We have no sin anymore. And then one more place I want to show you. 1 Corinthians 2, starting in verse 3. So just the next chapter. He says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and with much trembling and my speech and message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of spirit and power. Now get this. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but the power of God. Here's going to be the temptation. You're going to be knowing you should speak the gospel to someone, and the temptation is going to be they're going to ask questions you don't have the answers to. I'm probably going to screw it up. I'm not very eloquent. I'm not... And Paul says, I came to you and I wasn't eloquent because if I was your hope would be in the wisdom of man. But he said, I came to you not trembling, weak, not with fancy words, but I preached the gospel so that in light of all the bumbling and jumbling of words, your hope would not be in the presentation, but in the power of God. Because the gospel is the power of God to salvation. Uh, one of the speakers there said, uh, gave the example of Thor. And Thor's power is when he picks up this hammer. And it's the instrument that, that in the hand of Thor where power explodes forth. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because the gospel is God's hammer, God's power. And when that thing's wheeled, that's when God's power comes bursting forth over spiritually dead people and brings life. So he says, I'm not ashamed of that. I'm not ashamed of the only hope. And here's the thing. We need to remember what is needed for the mission. Everyone out there is spiritually dead. Jesus tells us in John 3, that flesh cannot give birth to spirit. We got spiritually dead people and I, as flesh, cannot go bring to life any soul, any sinners. I can't open any sinner's eyes. 
I can't give them a new birth. The need is not people that just need to figure out how to be a little better. We need a resurrection from the dead. It has to be a spiritual resurrection. And Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because I understand the mission. And the only way the mission can be accomplished is if God supernaturally bursts forth into this world at a moment and can resurrect dead people. And he says the gospel is how God does it. So many churches today wanting to keep morality, but they're ashamed of the gospel. You see, it's, it's kind of offensive to talk about God pouring out His wrath on His own Son. You know, it's good to talk about, I'll pray for you, or, you know, we got to lift people up in prayer. Not a lot of gospel talk. So many churches have given up the power in order to have the wisdom of the world. And we can do the same thing so easily. But my charge to you is, remember we have a commander. We have one who sent us on mission. We'll give an account. He sent us on mission. He gave us the mission clearly It's to be ambassadors for Christ, to preach the gospel unashamedly. We know the temptation is going to be there to abort, but we're given this wonderful reminder of the reason we should never abort. Why would we be ashamed of the most powerful thing in the universe? Last night in the middle of the night, the Florida... Marlins star pitcher Jose Fernandez was with a couple other people off the coast of Miami Beach speeding along in a boat and they hit rocks and they're all dead. The game is canceled today between the Marlins and the Braves. If you wanted to talk about Jose Fernandez, we need to be praying for his family and and for that team. But if you heard any talk on the radio, all you would hear is about his power as a pitcher. I mean, he's a Cy Young candidate. He's, He's one of the most powerful pitchers. But right now at his funeral, I guarantee you, the power of pitching is not going to be the power talked about. I don't know if he's a believer or not, But the only power that matters now for him is whether the power of the resurrection unto life is his or not. We're given reminders that we ought not be ashamed of the gospel because we're all going to be there one day. We're all going to face God and we're going to need the power of the resurrection. So if you're here and you're wondering, How can I know that when I die, when I face God, I'll be resurrected unto life? The answer is, you need a new birth, and that new birth comes through the gospel, and the gospel is that God in His love sent His Son to pay the price for sins. And when He died under the wrath of God, He got punished for the sins that we deserve to get punished for. He died 
and was raised again. And the Scriptures tell us that when we trust in Him by faith, not according to works, but by faith, His perfect life that He lived, not sinning, is gifted to us as a gift. It's called righteousness. So that we stand before God not guilty. (laughs) Only by the power of God can that be true. And God sends us His Spirit and promises us through the Gospel to conform us into His image and one day come back. And in a moment when He comes back, we will be like Him. No more sin. And that is the most powerful act in the world. That someone as sinful as me can be brought to the point where I will never sin again when Christ returns in glory. Father, I pray that there would be no one here who is not trusted in this God of love, this God of grace, in this God of power. We love that when man was unleashing his power on the Son, and the Son was speaking, either remaining silent or speaking words of forgiveness back, that true power was on display, accomplishing so much more than what man could ever do. We thank You for this Gospel, Lord. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.